0: Well, good morning, PCC. Uh, it's, you know, it's a weird feeling right now because uh, this is not only my last Sunday teaching of the sabbatical, uh, but it's the last Sunday of the sabbatical. And so it's, it's kind of this weird feeling like next week, um, Pastor Jim will be returning. And so that's definitely something to get excited for. Uh, and, and uh, I, I was told that last week I kind of said it in a way that people weren't sure if they should like clap or amen because they're like, we don't want you to feel like we want you gone, but it's, you know, I understand we're, we're getting excited for what is coming. Well, I'm the, I'm the student ministry pastor, and, and uh, if you're new with us, what we've been doing right now is we're, we're, we're in a series called Under Construction, um, and, and we're looking at this idea of, of really, well, really it's construction is 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 constantly around us and so um kind of like how the ancient uh, biblical writers would would talk about things that was all around them and and equate it to the theological we too are are, are doing the same and um it's interesting you know sometimes i I feel like uh construction is quite annoying oftentimes i think construction is quite annoying uh do, do any of you remember the crenshaw road project i know that feels like a lifetime ago right now but I gotta tell you, that was that was super annoying. Especially as someone who lived right down the hill and had to take it every day to get up here, um, that was that was tough. But sometimes uh, construction is hopeful. It's new. It's exciting. It's hopeful. Uh, I, I think of the new SoFi a football stadium, when, when that was being built, there was a little bit of a buzz, a little bit of an excitement. I remember um, Katie and I would, would uh, go to her parents' house, and we'd try to walk over to where we could see them as they were building the stadium, because we wanted to see it and, and feel the hope. And now, and now I'm hoping when the season comes back, I'll get a chance to go visit this new and amazing thing. And so sometimes construction's hopeful. Sometimes there's this hope around it. And, and, and I think um, that hopefully there's going to be this hopeful construction uh, that will be on our doorsteps, our PCC doorsteps very soon. We're actually um, just now out for bid. And so we're out for bid. So this progress and this hope is starting to build that that change and, and the excitement of the fellowship hall is, is right on our doorsteps. But but the, uh, under construction, this, this theme of under construction, like I said, we're tying it to the theological. It's it's not just limited to buildings or, or to roads or to construction projects. Uh, discipleship is also a work of construction. Uh, we're constantly being built and rebuilt uh, in god's uh image and and and, and with his son and his leadership and his vision and this is something that god does in us uh through the holy spirit but it's not something that just happens all at once uh, and easy it's not even something that just kind of happens instantly on its own we're called to purposely join in on this work and so we're supposed to partner with the holy spirit and and just last week pastor bruce took us on a little bit of a look of this whole idea of remaining in the vine of how this remaining in the vine is so crucial when it comes to joining in god in this under construction process well today as we close out the series and really as we close out this time period I kind of want to end it on, on this last bit of under construction, but this last bit that's like more of a send-off, more of a, if you know anything about youth ministry and youth pastors, kind of like an area that we love to go to, we love to challenge our students with, and actually it's, it's our, our mission statement as well, and so this last bit of this under construction process, um, where we not only are, are joining in what the, the Holy Spirit is doing in our own lives, uh, but we join in what the Holy Spirit is doing Uh, throughout the world. Um, And so our mission statement, if you don't know, is growing people to impact their world and beyond. And so first we partner with the Holy Spirit as he, uh, as it works in us, but then we partner with um, the Holy Spirit to catch the vision, to catch the vision for, for God's kingdom and what he's doing in the work in the world. And so to do that and to look at that and to think about that, I want to take us to perhaps one of the most famous building projects in the Bible perhaps one of them you could you could argue some of them but but one that I think is quite important and it's in Nehemiah so if you have your Bible or if you're you're watching at home and you're um, following along we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 1 as we start to turn there, let me just set it up a little bit because some people may be like, Nehemiah, yes, we finally are talking about it. And other people are like, Neah, who? And so I uh, just want to make sure we know a little bit where we're going. So, Nehemiah, it takes place not long after some of the Israelites return from the exile, uh, but it, it, it's much before Jesus. And so it, it's kind of in this uh, somewhat in between period that we don't always look um, too long at. But if you remember from the timeline purposes, uh first the jews enter into the promised land god gives them the promised land but when they enter in uh, over time they, they begin to reject god as their king and, and they said instead i we want our own king we want a, we want our own king so we can look like the other nations and, and god gives them a king and, that, and that's kind of the first step and a long list of bad steps that take place so they have a bad king saul then they have a good king finally in david and, and someone to look up to someone to admire but from there, it takes a bit of a turn. They have a so-so king in Solomon, one that at the very least doesn't end well. Uh, and from there, it's just more of a downhill process. There's more bad and more bad. Uh, you can sprinkle in a few good uh, kings. I know the history people in here are like, wait a minute, there's a few good ones. There are. But for the most part, there's a lot of bad. And this tension begins to build, and, the, and there's all these problems happening. And with it, the, two, the, the nation splits into two, the north and the south, And the north gets attacked by the Assyrians and it falls. And the south, for some reason, doesn't learn from their mistakes and and keeps on going until finally Babylon comes in and takes them over. And when Babylon comes in, they just uh, torch the area. They destroy so much of of Jerusalem and they burn much of it to the ground. And there's all these problems. Um, And from there, we kind of get people taken away into Babylon. and, And it's this exile period. In the exile period, you get all these classic Sunday school stories we love to tell. You know, we love to tell the David and the lion's den, or we love that one episode of Veggie Tales where there's the chocolate bunny. Um, those kind of things are happening right here. Um, someone out there is singing Oh the Bunny right now, um, and uh, I appreciate you, so just know that. But not long after uh, Babylon falls to Persia and And one of the kings, Cyrus, allows some of the Jews to return. And so there's a remnant that returns. And our story is going to take place kind of just after that, a little bit after that. Some of the remnants return. They're they're, they're starting to make things happen. But the city is still in a state of of needing some repair. And so Nehemiah 1, we're going to pick up there um, kind of after this exile period. Nehemiah chapter 1, we're starting in verse 1. It says, the words of Nehemiah, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year. While I was in the citadel of Susa, Hannah and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept, and for days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven." so i want to stop right there for just a second because i think right here we kind of get this tension that's entered into nehemiah that kind of sets up the rest of the book Uh, and and for us it it may be a little harder to connect with because uh, well we're no longer people who rely on walls Um, so maybe if if the writer was talking about uh, keeping your credit card safe or your instagram account safe uh, the cyber security element maybe we would connect a little more but what's happening here is quite serious It's quite serious, and I think we kind of need to realize what's going on, and it's happening in two parts. See, the bad news is that Nehemiah hears that people are suffering. And I got to tell you, I I think the translation perhaps doesn't do a good enough job at telling us just how much they're suffering. Great trouble is something I could throw in for something that's honestly not that great of a trouble. I could be a little over dramatic and say that. But here... Uh, the person who is giving Nehemiah the news is using the strongest word in his language he can to, to let them know about trouble, despair, and, uh, misery, danger. And so maybe if we uh, translated it more on the lines of, of just life threatening trouble, life threatening danger, life threatening misery, uh, we could get it a little bit better. And so the people are suffering, but the people aren't just the only ones suffering, the whole city is suffering. They let them know that the the city's in disgrace, and it's in disgrace because the walls are burned down. And so they're in life-threatening trouble because at any moment, people can come in and mistreat them uh, or or raid them or or take all that they have. So they're living in this constant anxiety, this constant fear. And I think what's uh, almost more important than kind of understanding where they're at is really actually seeing how Nehemiah responds. Because Nehemiah responds in a way that I, I think it, it is so encouraging, even if it may not sound encouraging. Nehemiah responds by weeping and by praying. Verse 4 it says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven nehemiah hears this news the first things he does is he weeps and he prays he responds and by responding in this way what i think happens is that nehemiah catches the vision catches the vision this is a phrase i'm going to use a little bit today because that's kind of where i want to send us off on Is this phrase catch the vision and here's what i i kind of mean by it because in a sense it means inspired but but that's only part of it really what what catch the vision means is that you're seeing what God is doing and you're joining in in God's kingdom and his purpose. And so God is at, is at work and God's actually is going to be at work in the story of Nehemiah and because Nehemiah responds in such a way I think he's able to, to get just a glimpse of what God is about to do. And so Nehemiah uh, is able to catch the vision. And I think what happens next is super is super cool, it, is super exciting because it, uh, just to summarize for you real quick, Nehemiah 2 he, he, or Nehemiah 1, he, he hears this news, he prays, he weeps, he catches this vision, he gets this glimpse that God may still be at work. God's going to work in his people. And he prays, and when he prays, he, he calls on God's character, and he says, I know uh, you are a faithful God. And then he responds. He jumps in. In Nehemiah chapter 2, he returns to his job He's, he's what's called a cupbearer to the king. It's kind of a strange job, but it's actually a quite good job, I, I would assume, for him. Um, it, it's really a great um, job, and it's one that carries a lot of influence with it as well. And we can see kind of um, in this chapter that, that Nehemiah has a, has a good relationship with the king to the point where Nehemiah is still feeling this pain of the news he heard. He's still feeling the pain of this news he heard, and he's kind of brought it into his work. And the king begins to notice, and he begins to wonder, and he begins to ask him, Nehemiah, what's going on? What's, what's happening? What's troubling you? I think that's, that's so awesome that, that they, that clearly they must have had this relationship where Nehemiah isn't just punished because he's, he's carrying this weight, but, but the king's almost invested in it, because he's invested in Nehemiah. Well, well with great respect, Nehemiah responds, and, and I think what's um, important, again, if you look at chapter 2, verse 4, You see a theme that I think is quite uh, clear of Nehemiah. It starts off with this again. Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sights, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. In two chapters, Nehemiah is already praying twice. He has this long prayer in chapter 1. Uh, where he's just handing it over to God, and he's seeing this vision of what God might be doing. But in chapter 2, almost before he responds to the king, again, we get this prayer. We see where his heart is at. And I I think that's kind of one of the first places that we should take note of, if if we're jumping in with this catch the vision, if we're jumping in with this construction progress, um, that we should kind of take note of Nehemiah's heart. Because the the way that Nehemiah uh, speaks to the king and really the way the king responds, because the king responds and says, go do it, you can go do it, you can leave your job, you can go out to Jerusalem, you can begin working, but it only happened because of Nehemiah's heart. It only happened because of Nehemiah's heart for the people, but it also only happened because of Nehemiah's uh, heart before the king. He set aside his personal preferences for God's purpose. And I think in order to catch the vision, uh, we too set aside our personal preferences Uh, in order for them to become second for God's kingdom mindset. Jesus needs to be king instead of us being king. And we know that Nehemiah does this because Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king. And it sounds like a strange job. We don't still have that job, but I I think it's a nice job because he ate what the king ate, he drank what the king drank, and he worked where the king worked. I mean, that sounds pretty nice to me. I I wouldn't mind... Uh, getting to eat all the stuff the king ate and drink all the stuff the king did. I mean, you're checking for poison, so it's a little uh, s- stressful. But at the same time, I mean, you get all the choice, all the choice stuff in the kingdom. It's a pretty nice life. He's in the palace. Uh, he, he's got, he's got all these things going for him. And, and truthfully, he, he's far away from Jerusalem. And so all those problems were a lifetime away. He could have easily forgot about all of them. Nehemiah could have easily stay quiet. He could have said nothing to the king. He could have enjoyed the nice life he had. And been happy with it if he was just focused on his personal preferences uh, he would have said nothing and lived out his days uh, probably quite well but instead nehemiah put god's kingdom vision first and i think when he did that even though he had to leave his sweet job and his sweet benefits uh, nehemiah got something That was so much deeper. He experienced the fulfillment that he had never experienced before. He was a part of something that was bigger. He caught this vision of what God was doing. And because he did, now he was a part of something. And so my hope for us as we close out this time together, as we we potentially begin this new process of building, of excitement, of hope, um, is that we begin to ask ourselves this question, well, how do we catch God's vision? How do we catch God's vision for our local world and for what's beyond as well? And so I just have a few questions as I began to thought about, or think about that, and I had a few questions um, just to ask out loud. And I think the first one is this: is: um, are we aware of the need? Are we aware of the need? Like I said, Nehemiah lived quite far away, close to 800 miles away from Jerusalem. Uh, and back then, there's no internet, there's no Twitter, there's no push notifications, no news channel, nothing like that. It would have been easy for Nehemiah to just stay unaware. And it would have been easy for Nehemiah to just forget, to, 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 to put it in the back of his mind and, and go on with his life. Nehemiah had everything he needed. He had the good job. He had the good food. He had the good view. He had everything he needed there. He could have easily forgot what was going on. Yet he didn't stay within his bubble. He stepped out of his bubble and began to ask uh, oh, where it's the need. I did my undergraduate at a, a, a place called Moody Bible Institute, and Moody Bible Institute is located in Chicago, Illinois, and it's located in downtown Chicago, um, no offense to my Wheaton people, sorry about this, it's, it's, it's actually downtown, um, not Wheaton downtown, okay, so we're in downtown Chicago right there is where I did um, my undergrad, and the crazy thing is, even though I went to school in downtown Chicago, we still had a, we still kind of had a phrase uh, that we used to say, and because um, younger classmen especially had this tendency where they would get caught up in what we called the moody bubble, you got caught up in the moody bubble. And not like your personality was moody, uh, but it's, that's the name of the school. You know, I, had a, I have a shirt called Moody Archers, and people always make fun of me. Um, that, like, it's a moody... Never mind. Uh, so people get tied up in this bubble, this moody bubble, right? And, and, and um, they would just find ways to, to go from their dorm to class, to the cafeteria, uh, to the library, maybe the gym, and back to class. And they had everything they needed in their, in their little campus, all their friends, all their, their needs, their food, uh, their living, they had everything they needed, everything they wanted in their bubble. And yet, if you just took a few steps past the sidewalk, all of a sudden, now you were in downtown Chicago. You're in this amazing city, Michigan Avenue is less than a mile away. All these sites, all these people, all these places are right outside. And people couldn't step outside that bubble so we encourage people go outside the bubble see what you could see um and and i think that you really saw as as people got older and as people were there and more comfortable they began to step out that bubble and and the the things that they began to be a part of the ministry they began to do in the city um, it was amazing i think what's interesting is uh we live in a really nice place pv is really nice i i now i get to live here oh man it's so nice it's green um we got everything we need up here there's food there's great people um the problem is it's so nice uh, that i think we too can have a tendency to stay in a pv bubble we have everything we need up here that we can stay in this pv bubble and be happy but i think like nehemiah sometimes we need to ask ourselves are we aware of the need are we stepping outside of our bubble the second thing i began to think about um and i think i really got this from nehemiah Um, especially that verse 4 in chapter 1, is that I think in order to catch the vision, God's vision, we need to be a people who are defined by compassion. Nehemiah is such a great example. He was physically and spiritually moved by his compassion. Verse 4 of chapter 1 said, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. It moved him to the point where the the spiritual and the physical came together. I think Jesus, likewise, we can kind of see the same thing where he's moved physically by, uh, moved physically with compassion, um, uh, attached to the triumphal entry, but often forgotten, is this little uh, passage you can find in Luke 19. And it's Jesus as he's before the city, he's kind of overlooking the city, and it's this other time where we see Jesus weep. It's not just at the tomb of Lazarus, we this other time where Jesus weeps and uh, he, he weeps because he sees the city and he knows that they're about to miss him. He knows there that, that, that something so great is about to come by, but they're gonna miss it, and so he weeps out of compassion for them. Luke nineteen uh, forty one just says as he came near the city, he as he came near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, If you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace. He's physically moved by his compassion for them. He's brought to tears because he, he knows they're about to miss what's happening. I think the question that I began to think and, and that I want to think out loud is, um, have we been moved by tears by our compassion? Have we been physically moved to, to, to tears, to mourning, to fasting? Well, when, when we overlook our campuses, uh, our, our cubicles, our offices, our neighborhoods, uh, do we feel that compassion that nehemiah is displaying do, do we feel for those who are hurting who are mistreated who are confused who are lost who are apart from god because i think when we're people who are defined by compassion well we can catch god's vision we want to catch the vision but i think sometimes some things get in the way uh, sometimes we're too comfortable we're too comfortable to catch the vision. Um, like me and Maya, we have the sweet job, we have the sweet food, we have the sweet views, and we get comfortable. And, and so we're 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 happy and we're comfortable, and it's easy to miss the walls around us that need to be rebuilt because we're comfortable. Or sometimes we're too preoccupied. Um, I can tell you at the end of this four months um, that we live really busy lives. Uh, I, I, didn't need this four months to tell you, but I can now even more tell you that we live really busy lives And, and what I think is so interesting is that, um, even when our lives aren't busy uh, We often find ways to make them busy uh, Or at the very least, uh, we find ways, uh, to, to get preoccupied or distracted This week I was, um doing some of my research. So, uh, if you don't know Like I said, i'm the student ministries pastor and one thing I do is I Um, Write a parent email that I send out every week and part of the parent email is a little section. That's called this week in youth culture Um, Basically, it's a a little blurb or two about some events that happen in youth culture um, Some takes or or something something just to keep people informed and aware of what's going on And while I was studying I, I came across a pretty interesting quote from a guy named Jonathan Tarks and Jonathan Tarks is not some big theologian or philosopher. He's actually just a sports writer But he has this profound quote because uh, he wrote a story about how he found out he was diagnosed with cancer and and how when he found out he was diagnosed with cancer, it changed his entire worldview. He was living such a distracted life that he he couldn't think about anything else. And then all of a sudden he got hit with this bomb and that changed the way he saw everything. And so he has this quote, he says, One of the best metaphors I've heard for the modern life uh, is that life is like a car headed down towards a cliff's edge while billboards line both sides of the road blocking the uh, the driver's views and those billboards are all distractions that society has to offer it's the netflix the sports the movies the music the work the friends everything that you consume to avoid thinking about where you're ultimately headed and those billboards cover your view until the end of the road and suddenly the cliff approaches and it's then only then as your car is flying in the air that you start to think um, about death and the meaning of life He's talking about how he needed something crazy to get him uh, out of this mindset of a distracted life. And I think sometimes, uh, truthfully speaking for myself, uh, sometimes our hearts just aren't in the right place to catch the vision. Sometimes something's uh, uh, holding us back or or in the way or or weighing us down, and sometimes our hearts just aren't in the right place. But like I said, we, we do desire this. Like Nehemiah, we desire to be a part of God's uh, purpose in god's kingdom and god's vision um, and, and so we ask well how can we catch this vision how can we see what god's doing how can we join in um, and i have just three things for you to think about as we transition more towards the close here's these three things the first one is this we catch the vision when we pray for needs we catch the vision when we pray for needs uh, I pointed out earlier, but I, I think one thing I really wanted you to notice in the story is that Nehemiah was a, was a person who prayed. A person who prayed a lot. Uh, in the first chapter, he's got a huge prayer. I encourage you to read it and, and even just pray it for yourself and, and see what happens. He's got this huge prayer where he just uh, hands over to God. Uh, all that could be happening. But Nehemiah also prays before he goes and talks to the king, and he's this person who prays. And so we catch the vision, too, when we pray for needs. Uh, since I was a little kid, I, um, my family, and, and it's been instilled on me, has been praying for my grandfather. My, my mom's dad, we call him Papap. we've been praying for him since a little kid. I uh, just praying that, that, that he would see Jesus, that he would have this relationship, he would have this experience. Um, and, and so we've been praying for him. Um... Basically, my whole life. And because of that, I've been, I've been bought in and bought in and bought in even more and, and, and emotionally invested um, in him and, and what's happening. And so um, this year, uh, things uh, started to happen a little bit. He became more open. He, um, he, he likes to sit out on his porch swing and watch the sunset and he just plays the New Testament on his phone. And, and that already, right there, is a big step. But, but one of the things that comes with it is that he has just so many questions. Uh, he has so many questions. As someone who 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 you know has has not thought about this his whole life, he has all these questions. Um, and the main thing he does is call me. He calls me first out of everyone. And so um, because I've been praying and because I've been um, so invested in this, um, no longer do I, I, I do I think about these moments as an interruption or an inconvenience. I look forward to them. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. Uh, the, these things take precedent because um, I'm I'm I've been praying for it been praying for this need. The second thing I, I think is uh, we catch the vision when we understand who God is. We catch the vision when we understand who God is. Like I said, Nehemiah's prayer, I think it is, is not only an encouragement to read, but it's also theologically rich. Um, just, the, just kind of the beginning, you see him start off by saying, um, Lord, the God of heaven, the great awesome God who keeps his covenant love with those who love him, and keep his commandment. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayers of your servant that is praying for you before you day and night. In order to catch the kingdom vision, I think we need to know who the king is. When Nehemiah prays, the very first thing he does, before anything else, is draw on God's character. How well do we know the king? We can't be inspired to join in God's work if we don't know him. If we don't know him, we can't be inspired to join in what he's doing. And then the final thing is this, and and, um, this is when some of the the stuff that you're sitting on will come into play. So, um, We catch the vision when we're ready to act. We catch the vision when we're ready to act. When the opportunity arose nehemiah took it you know it's kind of interesting and i, and I like telling this um, story to my students because um, it, it's somewhat interesting he, nehemiah doesn't go to the king and say king i have a request for you i need to do this right away the king kind of makes the first move which is kind of interesting but what happens is nehemiah doesn't shy away when it happens and the opportunity presents himself uh, he he's ready to act There's a difference between acknowledging what God is doing and joining in what God is doing. And I think chapter 3 of Nehemiah makes that very clear. Chapter 3 of Nehemiah is basically um, one of those chapters that if we're reading through the Bible, we just kind of skip, mostly because it's just a very long list of names and jobs. The entire chapter is basically a list of names and jobs. It's basically this family um, rebuilt this part of the wall Uh, these people rebuilt this gate and this person rebuilt this gate for an entire chapter. But it's a whole chapter that's just devoted uh, to people who are ready to act. And I think the emphasis of the chapter is that everyone got involved. It wasn't just Nehemiah. It wasn't just the priests. It wasn't just the Levites. Everyone got involved. And so as we PCC um, in this season, in this four-month season, um, and as we embark on, on this being under construction and in our lives and on our campus and in our world, um, will you look to catch the vision? Will you look to question the vision? Will you look for the walls around you that need to be v- rebuilt? Will you look for the ways that God is moving and, and seek to join in? If you're joining us here in person, oh no, inside, Hopefully we'll get some to the people outside. I realize we did not put them outside. We have sticky notes out back if you're outside. Um, If you joined us inside, you probably noticed when you came in that there was a sticky note on your chair and you probably were thinking, am I allowed to sit here? And then you realize, oh, they're on every chair. Um, So I guess I have to sit here. Um, That's for a purpose. And so if you're at home, go grab one. If you're outside, we'll give you one at the end of the service. Um, But the sticky note is here for a purpose. Here's what I want you to do. Because I kind of want to end on a high note. I want to end on a challenge. I want to end on a call um, like Nehemiah chapter 3 where we make this clear that everyone got involved. And so on this post note what I want you to do is uh, if you have a pen and if you don't there's one in the back um, just write on both of them a, a prayer that you have for your community or for beyond. A prayer that you have for your community or beyond. Write it on both of them. And here's why I want you to write it on both of them. Because one of them at the end of service uh, after we close out, if you're here, I want you to take one of them and I want you to post it on the fellowship hall. I want you just to stick it on the fellowship hall. And the reason I want you to do that is sort of like a dedication it's a dedication to the here's my prayer, uh, here's how, how I want to join in, and, and hand that over to God. But the reason you have a second one is because I want you to take the second one and take it home with you and put it on your car or put it on your bathroom mirror or put it somewhere that you see it. And the reason is to remind you that everyone got involved. Not just the church, not just Nehemiah, not just the pastors. Everyone got involved in joining in God's vision. And so take it with you as a reminder that you're taking this with you and that you're joining in. And so as we transition to the closes, we close out and we pray and the band begins to come back up. I'm uh, saying, just think and, and pray and ask God, how, what, what's your vision for me for this area? How can I be a part of what you're doing? And just write those on the sticky notes and, and service closed. Go stick one on it and go take it home and, and do this kind of as an active way to say that we're joining in. So let's pray. God, we just come before you today. We want to acknowledge, like Nehemiah, just how amazing you are how you're faithful to us, how you're faithful to your people, how you are good and how you are are working not only in our lives to make us more like your son, but you're working in our community and beyond Um, and that you're at work in this world, God. We just pray um, that that as your people, uh, that as your disciples, that we can catch the vision for what you are doing in our area and we can be, um, just like the people of Jerusalem, eager to jump in uh, and, and to join in with what you're working at. And so we just give this time, not only uh, uh, give this time over to you, but we we give um, all that's coming up next over to you. And we just pray that we are uh, people that that can show you uh, to others. And so we just pray this in your name. Amen.